0: Welcome, and welcome to all of you who are joining us online this morning as well. 1 Samuel chapter 18 this morning as we continue our series on David, the worshiping warrior of God, 1 Samuel chapter 18. We're going to see three things this morning in this slice of David's life. He is surrounded by a friend, a foe, and a faithful God. Surrounded by a friend, a foe, and a faithful God. This chapter comes on the heels of David slaying Goliath. He's become, a even as a young man, a national hero. And because of his victory over Goliath, He has been invited by the king to basically enter into the king's service and be at the palace at all times. The first thing I want us to see here this morning, though, is that at this very strategic time in David's life, God brought A friend to him. If you follow along, I just want to read the first four verses. And then for a few moments, I'm just going to lay my Bible aside and share from my heart about friendship and specifically about this friendship. Notice in verse one, Samuel writes: When David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan and David became bound together in close friendship. Jonathan loved David as much as he did his own life. Saul retained David on that day and did not allow him to return to his father's house. Jonathan made a covenant with David, for he loved him as much as he did his own life. Jonathan even took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David, along with the rest of his gear, including his sword, his bow, and even his belt. Jonathan and David entered into an extraordinary, and I mean that, extraordinary friendship. A couple of things initially. First of all, Jonathan obviously initiated this friendship with David. But this was no one-sided friendship or relationship. David reciprocated. David responded in kind because any great relationship is never one-sided. It's always two people fully committed to that relationship, and both of these men were fully committed to one another. The Bible tells us that they entered into a very close friendship. The words speak about this friendship, this bond was inseparable and unbreakable they were not going to allow anything or anyone to come between them in their friendship. As you study the friendship of Jonathan and David, a couple of things come to mind. First of all, they discovered that they were kindred spirits. That they saw so much of themselves in the other person. They discovered a person that saw things the way they saw them, that interpreted things the way they would interpret them, that they viewed things the same way. They they were so much aligned, they they were on the same page almost all the time. And they had such a great love and affection for one another. You and I may never have that kind of a friend, but we can have a great friend. In fact, I think that this friendship is so extraordinary that I only find one other friendship in the Bible that even comes close. the friendship that Jonathan and David had. It was a -a once-in-a-lifetime friendship. And for many human beings, they will never find a friend, maybe, like Jonathan and David did. They also, you'll see there, they entered into a covenant of friendship. In other words, they realized that they had something so special between them that they made a commitment to one another that they would be true and stand with each other no matter what until one of them wasn't here any longer. I mean, in those days, to cut a covenant literally meant cutting an animal in two and walking between that animal together and basically saying, if either one of us is untrue to the other, may what happened to this animal happen to us. And then you even see something so extraordinary in verse four, where David, or where Jonathan starts taking off all of his princely garments and and the things that, that, that would define him as the prince of Israel. Remember, Jonathan was the son of King Saul. So in other words, from a human perspective, from a worldly perspective, the person that would be next in line to be king of Israel wasn't David, it was Jonathan. And yet Jonathan recognized that's not God's plan. God's plan is not for me to be the next king, but for my friend to be the next king. And so you see this absolute selflessness, this absolute sacrifice that Jonathan made. He's basically saying, David, as my friend, I'm I'm laying it all down for you. I'm not going to compete with you for this position because I don't believe that's God's will. God's will is for you to be king. Can you imagine having a friend that's willing literally to sacrifice everything for you? Including what everyone else in the kingdom would have said is your rightful position and place. And yet Jonathan says, no. No, because of my friend. That's selflessness. That's sacrifice. We don't find that too often, even in Christian circles today, where you have someone in your life that's willing to give up everything to promote you and to be there for you in some way. And this is why I want to end these comments on friendship in this way. We talk about David being a man after God's own heart. But in order for Jonathan to be as close to David as he was his whole life, Jonathan also had to be a man after God's own heart. Because there's no way Jonathan would have ever been the friend of David that he was or been willing to be so selfless and sacrificial if he also was not a man after God's own heart. He cared more about God's will, and what God thought, than anything else. And we're going to see now, in the coming weeks, in 1 Samuel, how this friendship continues to play out in David and Jonathan's life. It's so important, folks, not that we have a lot of friends, which is the way of the world today, but that you find just a couple really good ones that you know will stick with you through thick and thin. That's the important thing. To be surrounded by one really good friend means more than a thousand mediocre friendships. The world today is, again, just like the church. It's all about surface and superficiality and all of that these two men they had a deep abiding and strong relationship and no one or nothing was going to come between them and God understands look God understands more than we do that truly he is all we need But God also understands as human beings, it is vital, it is essential that we have at least someone else, flesh and blood, that we can walk through life with. I mean, even before the fall, God said to Adam, it's not good that you're alone. And it was God in his word who says two are better than one. So God understands, yes, I'm truly the only one you need, but I also know that because I'm here, you need somebody on earth sometimes that you can walk through life with. And God provided David with that friend in Jonathan. Are you walking through life today surrounded by a friend Are you a friend that is walking through life with someone else? Because it's so important that we have friends. C.S. Lewis, that many of you know, says that friendship is the greatest of all worldly goods. He says, man, when you find a friend, I mean a really good friend, Thank God for them. Bless them, honor them. Because there's nothing like a friend. But David wasn't only surrounded by a friend. He was surrounded by a foe. Jonathan's father, Saul. And you and I will always be surrounded by foes throughout our life. If nothing else, we will always be surrounded by our spiritual enemy, the devil. And the Bible tells us the devil walks around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Now the Bible says, resist him, and he'll flee from you. For greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. We don't have to fear the devil, but we have to be aware that we will always be surrounded by foes. Sometimes they're invisible, sometimes they're visible. In this case, he was very visible, the foe in David's life at this point. You see there that in verse six, David came back from achieving success as, again, a warrior. And all the people were saying, Saul, verse 7, struck down his thousands, but David is tens of thousands. And notice, this made Saul very angry. The word angry there in the Hebrew means a burning, smoldering anger and jealousy. Saul was jealous of David. And Saul allowed this anger to just burn and smolder within him day in and day out. Notice also in verse 9, so Saul was keeping an eye on David from that day onward. Why? Because he says at the end of verse 8, what is this young man lacking except the kingdom? In other words, Saul could see that the kingdom that he once ruled over was slipping through his fingers. And it was like he couldn't do anything about it. There's an important principle there for us. Saul was trying to hold on to something temporal, something worldly, something earthly. If you and I go through life trying to hold on to that which doesn't last, we're all going to be very frustrated, and disillusioned. That's why God says, if you're going to grab a hold of something on earth, grab a hold of the things that are eternal. Because those are the things that's going to outlast us and go with us on into eternity. Don't try to be like Saul and grasp a hold of anything material, physical, or of this world, because it's not going to be able to be something that you're going to be able to hold on to anyway. Saul because he wasn't walking with God, wasn't looking at things in a proper way, nor was he approaching the idea that maybe God doesn't want me to be king anymore. And like his son, Jonathan, who was way more mature and especially way more spiritual than his own father, he never got there. He never had the same perspective that his own son had that's like, well, if this isn't of God, then I don't want to be a part of it because I only want what God wants. That's what Jonathan wanted. That's not what Saul wanted. And the phrase keeping his eye on David means to watch someone enviously and suspiciously. You ever been there in your own life? Boy, that's not a good place to be, is it? when you got your eye on another human being and you're just watching them, maybe with envy and jealousy, maybe with suspicion, where should Saul's eyes be? Not on David, but on the Lord. David, or Saul got his eyes off of God and started becoming preoccupied with David. You and I need to be careful of that. Because even as Christians, we are living right now in a culture and a world where we're putting our eyes too much on men and getting them off of God. Either positively or negatively. Like, oh, they're the end-all, be-all, and you know they're the Savior, and they're the Messiah, or they're going to be the... No. Or negatively. God says, keep your eyes on me. Nicole and I were sharing a couple weeks ago, we, we truly feel affirmed by God that every Wednesday and every Sunday, most of our calling is to just get all of us back to where our focus needs to be, to put it simply like we're all out there in the world and we all get caught up in the things of the world and we get our eyes off of God and every Wednesday and every Sunday, what should we be doing? Reset. Let's all now, let's get our attention back on God where it needs to be. Saul lost that. Saul was keeping his eye on David rather than on the Lord. And because of Saul's ugly heart, notice what this opened up the door for in verse 10. The next day, an evil spirit from God rushed upon Saul. That's why we have to be careful and guard our heart and keep our heart in a right place, in a good place, because when our heart gets ugly, we can open ourselves up to the influence and, and impact of evil spirits. And what happens then in verse 11? Well, the Bible says that Saul just so happened to have a spear in his hand as he's sitting there on his throne. Of course, David is near, and Saul picks up the spear and says, I'm going to nail David to the wall, and literally intends to murder David right then and there in the palace. First of all, I thought, what's, what's Saul doing with the spear in his hand in the first place? And there you also see the literally the playing out of what Jesus said in the Beatitudes and in the Sermon on the Mount. When he says, you all tell each other that murder is sin, but I'm telling you, even if you're angry with your brother in your heart, that's murder. Because if you don't take care of that anger, look at what it ends up happening. And that's exactly what happened to Saul. Saul allowed that smoldering anger and and jealousy and envy to just get under his skin so much about David every day that when he was given the means, the motive, and the opportunity to murder David, that's exactly what he did, what he tried to do. By the way, why would God in his sovereignty, allowed David to be in such close proximity to someone who wanted to kill him? Because God, when he did finally give David the throne, he didn't want David to be the kind of king that Saul was. He wanted David to learn, I don't want the leader of my people to be someone that throws spears at other people. And sometimes God will bring us into close proximity to a very positive and good example and tell us, watch them, observe them, follow them. But there's other times where God in our life will bring us into proximity with somebody that he doesn't want us to be like. In fact, he brings us in and says, you see them over there? I want you to be just the opposite of what they are. I don't want you to become a spear thrower. I want you to learn that when someone throws a spear at you, you don't pick up the spear and throw it back. That's not what I see with even a lot of Christians and in Christian circles today. What I'm seeing and hearing is that when the world throws spears our way, we pick up the spear and we throw it right back. We are no better God is saying, Don't pick up the spear and throw it back. And David was learning to be the leader that God wanted him to be, even in close physical proximity to Saul. Notice in verse 12, Saul feared David. In fact, three times in this chapter, we see Saul fearing David. Look at verse 15. Saul was afraid of him. Verse 29, Saul became even more afraid of him. I've shared over and over again, faith is the antithesis of fear. And the reason why Saul was a man that was driven by fear was because he was not a man of faith. When you and I live by faith, we won't be driven by fear. And then notice one other thing that David's foe does. Verse 13. Saul removes David from his presence as the the musician and makes him a commanding officer to lead the army. Why did he do that? Look over at the end of verse 25. Because Saul was thinking that he could kill David by the hand of the Philistines. I'll let the Philistines do my dirty work for me. I'll put David in charge of this segment of my army, send them into Philistine territory, let them kill him. And something God reminded me of as I was reading and studying this, is that not only is faith the antithesis of fear, but faith is living without scheming. Let me repeat that. Faith is living without scheming. Saul has this scheme that he's cooked up in his mind. I know how I'm going to get rid of David. And of course, we know, and we'll get to this in just a few moments, God was going to have the last word. God was going to be the one that defined who Saul was and who David was and how this was all going to play out but Saul was trying to take control of it himself. Saul wanted a certain end, and that was the end of David, and he was going to try to make it happen on his own. You ever been there in your life where you want something so bad that you start scheming for it? Not a good place to be. You see, living by faith is waiting on the Lord to bring it about rather than us having to scheme for it. But again, Saul was not a man of faith. And so he was being driven by his fear. So many people today are allowing their fear to drive how they live their life, how they respond, what they're doing in life. And God calls us to be people of faith. I'm... Getting way ahead of myself now, but that really leads into the message next Sunday, where we look at a psalm that David wrote that I've sort of entitled The Habits of a Healthy Mind. Because so many people today are struggling to have peace of mind. Come back next week and find out what God's prescription is to a peaceful mind. So we see that David is surrounded by a friend, he's surrounded by a foe, but then notice he's also surrounded by a faithful God. Notice three times in this chapter this phrase, beginning in verse 12, the Lord was with David. Look at verse 14, the Lord was with him. Verse 28, the Lord was with david and by the way we know in verse 12 that's one of the reasons too why saul was afraid of david because saul even sensed god's with this young man how crazy is that instead of being glad for david instead of celebrating that the lord is with david all he thinks about is himself so when he sees that god is with david That actually upsets him. And it's his fear, again, that's driving everything that Saul is doing at this point, including trying to murder God's anointed, David. Now, you and I can read that phrase, the Lord was with him, but I want to show you today in five different ways how the Lord's presence with David sort of was expressed in this slice of David's life. Because we can again say, well, the Lord's with them, but what's that really mean? Well, in this chapter, I want us to see, first of all, it meant God provided David with what? A friend. The Lord being with David provided David with a friend. Sometimes the greatest gift God can give us is another person. Sometimes that's the greatest gift God can give us, is a person. The most valuable treasure that David ever had apart from the Lord was Jonathan. And who provided Jonathan for David? God did. God made David for Jonathan and Jonathan for David, and they recognized that this would have never happened without the Lord being bringing it about. It is a reminder to us that the Lord is with us when we see and are aware and appreciate all of his provision in our life. Because as the word of God says, Paul in Philippians 4, 19... Our God will supply all our need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Anything that you and I truly need will come from the hand of God. We can trust that. He will provide for his people. And he will always provide all that we truly need. So we see, first of all, that the Lord was with David in providing David a friendship in Jonathan. We also see the Lord was with David in protecting him from Saul. Look at verse 11 again with me. It says, When Saul threw the spear, thinking I'll nail David to the wall, David escaped from him on two different occasions. Who protected David from Saul? The Lord did. Here's the thing. Saul was not only king, But Saul was a great military leader. I mean, we've already read that they were praising Saul for, you know, having victory over thousands even though they praised David. for. Listen, the Bible tells us Saul was one of the greatest military generals that Israel ever knew. So it wasn't like Saul was a poor spear chucker. It wasn't like, oh, he wasn't very good at throwing a spear. I'm telling you that under normal circumstances, if God wouldn't have protected David, Saul would have nailed David to the wall. But I think God, somewhere along the line, changed that trajectory of that spear. It was God who protected David, not once, but twice from Saul trying to murder him. And what that reminds us of, again, is that you and I, as God's people, as God's servants, we are invincible until God calls us home. Because the Bible tells us the day of our death has already been determined by God even before we were born. And no one is going to do anything to us unless God allows it. I don't care if they're in the same room with you and they got a gun pointed right at you. If it's not your time, just like with David and Saul, God's going to change the trajectory of that bullet and it's going to miss you. Because when the Lord is with us, not only can we count on his provision, we can also count on his protection. Because David knew, well, when I was a even a little bit younger, God anointed me to be the future king of Israel. He's not going to anoint me to be the future king of Israel unless something happened to me before I become it. He's going to make sure that I get there. And you and I have to, again, like going back to last week's message about living with confidence in the Lord, we've got to have confidence in God's provision and protection in our life. And these are two ways we see that the Lord was with him. Here's another way the Lord being with David is expressed. Not only in provision, protection, but in prospering David. Notice three times in this chapter, it says David achieved success. First one is in verse 5. On every mission on which Saul sent him, David achieved success. Then if you go over to verse 14. Now David achieved success in all he did. And then finally in verse 30, David achieved more success than all of Saul's servants. How was David so prosperous and successful? Because the Lord was with him. The Lord was blessing the efforts of David. If you and I want to be prosperous, then we just walk with the Lord and we follow him and we align our lives. We don't have to worry about being successful or prosperous because God says if you walk with me, you will be. I will prosper your way. I will make your way successful. And David was realizing that. The prosperity of David came from the hand of God. That's another way that the Lord was with David. That's another way the Lord will be with us. When you and I follow him. Fourth, the Lord was with David in his performance. Look at verse 16. All Israel and Judah loved David, for he was the one leading them out to battle and back. Literally, he was a great leader who led them through their battles. Why is that significant? Because you don't want a leader who can just lead you into battle. You want someone to bring victory. You want someone to lead you into battle, notice, and back. You want a leader who will lead you through the battle and bring you out the other side. That was David. Not a great leader if you're bringing everybody into battle and they all die. And they're all defeated. No, David was leading them into battle and then bringing them back. Who was doing that? Who was allowing David to be this great warrior? The Lord was. And then finally, the Lord was with him in his popularity. Again, look at verse 16. All Israel and Judah loved David. And then at the end of verse 30, his name was held in high esteem. Literally, his name was praised throughout the land. Now listen. You and I aren't supposed to make it a goal to be popular. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is this. When we are living for the Lord, the Lord will bring us into favor with the people that he wants us to be in favor with and who we need to be in favor with. And we don't need to worry about seeking the popularity of the world or of anything around us. God will take care of that. Why it, it's so grieving to see even Christians who are trying to, you know, make themselves popular. No one can exalt us like God can. And when you and I seek the popularity of people, that's going to wane. That doesn't last. But when you think, think, uh, seek the favor of the Lord, that's eternal. The Bible says that the one who does the will of God will abide forever. And 3,000 years after David and Jonathan walked this earth, we're still positively talking about David and Jonathan. That's pretty amazing favor and popularity. And all of these are signs that the Lord was with David. Listen, when we travel through life, we're always gonna have our foes. Invisible, spiritual, physical, but we're always gonna have our foes like David. But when you and I know that we've got God in heaven and we got a friend on earth, that's all we need. That's all we need. Do you know the Lord is with you today? And like David, let the Lord be the one who alone defines you and your life. Don't even try to define your own life. Let God have the last word. I'm gonna ask Nicole and our worship team to come and I'm gonna ask you to join me and stand in prayer, please. Father, I pray today that more than anything, God, we may live with the knowledge that you are with us and maybe more importantly and more correctly that we're with you, <laughs> that we're following you, God, that we're aligning our lives with you and therefore we, we know then that you're with us. And as Paul says, if God is truly with us, Who can be against us? David's life fleshed that out. David was always surrounded by foes, running for his life for much of his life. And yet, he knew that you were with him, God. That you would protect, that you would provide, that you would prosper him. That it was all bound up in you. And yet, Lord, also he he acknowledged throughout his life the great gift that his friend Jonathan was to him. That even though he had you er, on earth, or in heaven, he had someone else, flesh and blood on earth that was walking through everything with him as well. And so Lord, I pray today that we will end our service with with great hope and great confidence and, and just declaring God who you are and who we are in you, God, and that we won't let anything or anyone else define us in our lives. These things we pray in Jesus' name, amen.